He's been the communications director. He's now the advancement director. The guy's been in every airport, I think, anywhere that matters. He's our guest tonight. Would you welcome Randy Hurst? Randy, God bless you. Thank you. I love you, Wayne. Everybody. Well, I ask you again the same question I did this morning. How many of you believe God's word that our steps are ordered of the Lord? Let me just open with another example of that from my own life. A number of years ago, I was uh, going to London for another reason, and uh, the year before, I had preached at a new church plant in London that had been planted there by the church in Singapore I mentioned this morning, Victory Family Center, and uh, the previous year I had preached there, so they knew I was going to be in London, and so uh, the church in Singapore arranged for me to preach for them. Their service was not on Sunday morning, it was on Sunday afternoon because they drew from all over London, so they had to uh, give people time to travel into the service. And on Saturday, I had, this is before smartphone, I just had a little paper notebook, and it had the telephone number of the pastor, and his name was Gabriel Yee. So I called the telephone number, and a voice answered. I said, is Pastor Gabriel Yee there? Because I knew it wasn't him by his voice. He said, no, you have the wrong number, and hung up. So I thought, well, I must have misdialed. So I dialed again, the same voice answered. I said, well, did you get this number recently? And he said, no, I've had it for 10 years. Don't bother me again. So he hung up. Well, I looked in the telephone book, and Gabriel Yee was not listed, and because he'd only been there for a year, and evidently the phone book hadn't been out in time. So anyway, I tried. I looked for an ad in the newspaper. I could not find that church anyway. So I thought, well, you know, someone's going to preach. And so I just gave up, and I heard about this church out in Kensington, named Kensington Temple. And so I went out to uh, that service, their 11 o'clock service on Sunday morning. And uh, it was a large congregation, about 1,500 people, and uh, I was seated down near the front. At the conclusion of the service, the worship leader got up and led in one more song, and we stood and sang that song. Then he dismissed us, and there was no center aisle, just the side aisles like this. So I turned there and was walking out to the aisle here to walk back, and, and I just glanced back. Now, there are 1,500 people there. And in the back doorway, standing in the doorway, was one man. And all of a sudden, when I looked back there, it, he, he caught my eye. And he went, and I went, and he went. So I walked back, and I said, what's your name? I said, who are you? He said, my name is Frank. I said, well, where are you from, Frank? I'm from Poland. I said, well, I've never been to Poland. How do you know me? He said, last year, you preach in Star Street. God really blessed my life. I said, Star Street, that's where Calvary Charismatic Center is. I said, I'm supposed to be there in 30 minutes. Do you know where it is? He said, I'm on my way there right now. We got onto the subway. Now, let me explain what had happened. Frank had never been to Kensington Temple in his life. He was on his way early to church, felt hungry, got off on the subway, at the next stop when he decided just to get something to eat, which was Kensington. And the Kensington stop was just a block from Kensington Temple. He went into a little cafe, had a late breakfast, and just as the service was dismissing, he was paying his bill, and he heard singing across the street.
He had never been to Kensington Temple in his life. He walked across the street and stepped in the back door just as the worship leader dismissed us. And out of 1,500 people, he just happened to spot me and recognize me from hearing me preach a year before. Now, I checked Siri. The population of London is 8,200,000 people. There were 80 people attend that church where I'm supposed to preach. And out of 8,200,000 people, he just happens to finish his breakfast at the time to walk across the street and spot me. How many think that's just good luck? How many thinks our steps are ordered of the Lord? Well, I got there when I got to the service already. They had started the worship. Pastor Gabriel was sitting on the front row right where Dan, Pastor Dan is, and he was trying to put a sermon together because he thought I wasn't showing up, and he was so relieved to see me, and uh, I got up and preached. Now, I'm not going to tell you what the sermon was about, except, you know, sometimes I digress from what I planned, and it so happened, two days before, I had been with my wife. We'd gone through Blenheim Palace. Now, the Blenheim Palace is a palace owned by the Duke of Marlborough. It is where Sir Winston Churchill was born. It's a beautiful palace, and somehow that came to my mind, and I quoted the scripture, eye has not seen, ear has not heard, neither has it entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love him, and that God, Jesus said, I go to prepare a place for you. I said, it's going to be more beautiful than Blenheim Palace. I started to talk about the architecture of heaven. I had never talked about the architecture of heaven, and I remembered thinking to myself, get off this architecture pit kick, get back to your message. But I was talking about the architecture of heaven, and I said, Sir Christopher Wren, who was the architect of St. Paul's Cathedral, could not imagine the beauty of the architecture of heaven. At the end of the service, I gave an invitation for those who wanted to come for prayer. I gave a salvation invitation. One person stood, a very dignified-looking woman, she came forward, and as I always do when I meet a person who's made a decision to follow Christ, I say, have you known the Lord before? She said, I have never been to church before. And I said, are you sure you understand what you're doing? She said, I'm not sure I understand, but I really know I need to do this. How many know, maybe you don't fully understand, but you know you need to do it, and the Holy Spirit had dealt with her heart. And I said, Pastor Gabriel, I'm gonna ask you to come and talk with Eunice, that was her name, and explain to her what it means to receive Christ as Savior. And I said, I'll pray for these other people, and I'll come back, and I'll pray with you, Eunice. All right, she said. So I walked down, and I'm praying for one after the other. I got down to the end here, and right on the end of this, this end chair in front was a young Chinese guy. I didn't remember him from a year before, but he was waving at me, pastor, pastor. I came over, I said, yes, what do you want? He said, do you know who that woman is? I said, of course I don't know who that woman is. He said, she is my professor at the university. I have been witnessing to her for months. I have invited her to church for months. She would never come. I told her, today, this Sunday, this coming Sunday, she said, an American evangelist is coming, and he's going to be speaking. Would you please come? She said, I will come this one time, and don't ever ask me again. And I would have missed my appointment with Eunice because of a wrong time.
telephone number. You see, my secretary had typed an eight instead of a zero in the phone number. How many know close doesn't count in telephone numbers? Hello? But do you know that God is bigger than a secretarial mistake if he has ordered your steps to be on divine appointment with someone? And I remember when I took Eunice's hand and led her in a prayer and I watched as I've seen all over the world the light of God break on a sinner's face when they know they're forgiven. And she said, all of my life I've walked around in a spiritual fog. That's what she said. But she said, today the light has shone through. By the way, you want to guess what she was a professor of at the university? architecture you got let me tell how many know God knows what he's doing now I tell you that I noticed they had the title I don't often have a title you know the the people come to me and say what's the title they want it for the mp3 or whatever and I say it's uh, March 25th a.m. that's my title but I do have a title created for good works I want you to turn with me to a very familiar passage of scripture that most of you could quote by heart. I'll read it from the New International Version. I was New American Standard this morning. In the NIV it says this, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves, it. Now what is the it? It's talking about the faith. You see, salvation is a gift received by faith and the faith through which we receive salvation, is also a gift. Hello? And he says, it is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. Not long ago, I made a 25-hour trip by train from the city of Xining, China, to Lhasa, Tibet. And I was there at the high festival of Tibetan Buddhism, when there were tens of thousands of people marching around the Jokang Temple in Lhasa, and they were turning prayer wheels, they were prostrating themselves. If you have that little Tibet clip, would you put that on the screen? And I want you to notice, you'll first see these women turning prayer wheels. You notice they're not saying anything with their mouths because the prayer is on the wheel. And they just turn the wheel and they think by repetition of those wheels going around, somehow through their good works they will earn merit. And hopefully when they are reincarnated, come back as a higher form of human being rather than an animal or a bird or an insect, you'll see a Tibetan Buddhist monk prostrating himself. Many of these monks make the same journey from Xining, China, to Lhasa, Tibet, every third step, 1,190 miles. They prostrate themselves every third step. Many of them die along the way from exposure to the elements. And I want to say to these Buddhist monks, the price of your salvation has already been paid. It is not by works. It is by grace through faith, and the faith is a gift that whoever will call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. But how will they call on him of whom they have not heard? How will they hear unless someone tells them? 
And that is what missions is about because let me tell you three inescapable facts, friends. First, humanity is lost. A businessman driving through Lakeland in his Lexus talking on his cell phone, if he does not know Jesus, is just as spiritually lost as the witch doctor in Africa is. The second inescapable fact is that eternity is certain. Once human life begins, there is no end to human existence. Everyone you know, every family member, every neighbor, every fellow student, every coworker will spend eternity somewhere. Jesus used the exact same adjective to describe the destiny of the righteous and the unrighteous, and that adjective means unending, everlasting, eternal. Once human life begins, which I believe takes place at conception, There is no end to human existence. And the third inescapable fact is that Jesus is the only way of salvation. The apostle Peter said it this way, there is no other name under heaven given among men, no other name by which we must be saved. That is the message of grace God has committed to us. And we know those verses so well. It is not by works. But notice the very next verse. After the Apostle Paul says we're not saved by good works, he turns right around and says we're saved for good works. Look at the next verse at verse 10. He said, for we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance. Hello? Prepared in advance. Those of you who were here this morning, how many believe God had prepared in advance for me to share the word with that New Zealand agnostic before he went into eternity the next day? How many believe God prepared in advance for me to have a divine appointment with Eunice in London that morning when I only found the place because God sent Frank to a church he'd never been in and he spotted me in time to get me there to deliver God's word that she had come there to hear? May I tell you, friends, We were created in Christ Jesus for good works. And I want to share with you two simple principles about the good works for which we were created. First of all, every good work is recorded. Every good work is recorded. You know, the Word of God says, look, even if you give a cup of water in his name, he records that. How many of you know that? Whatever you do, every good work is recorded. In Psalm 139, verse 16, this will surprise you. Notice it says that he prepared these good works in advance for us. Notice what the Old Testament says. In Psalm 139, verse 16, your eyes saw my unformed body, David writes. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. Do you know that before We were born. God had a plan for our lives. He had certain days ordained for us to do certain good works that would mean the eternal destiny of someone else's soul. Now, if we we know that every good work is recorded, I want to share with you three principles. We have to understand what I call God's mathematics. Okay? You see, principle number one, they'll put it on the screen, God counts more 
than we do. Do you remember Elisha when his servant was afraid because of the surrounding armies? And Elisha said, God, open my servant's eyes. And God opened the servant's eyes, and he found out that there were far, was a far greater heavenly host with chariots of fire around that they could not see. Do you know why? Listen, no matter what you think is arrayed against us, God has more on his side than the enemy has on his side. God counts more than we do. Number two, God counts less than we do. Do you remember Gideon? He was going up against this enemy, the Midianites, I believe was, and he thought he had 32,000, which already he's outnumbered, right? Because they have more than 32,000. He thought he had 32,000. God knew. God counts less than we do. He said, no, you'd say any of them that are afraid, go away. 22,000 of them took off, and 10,000 are left. So he said, well, maybe we can still do it with 10,000. God said, no, you still got too many. Are you with me? How many remember the story? And he tells them to go down and drink at the river, and God narrows it down to 300. And you know why God did that? He said, I want there to be no doubt in your mind that I am the one that won the battle for you. Hello? Do you know something? Even in church, we count heads. God counts hearts. God counts less than we do. Let me give you an example of that. You know, I've had the privilege of preaching in, in a number of places in the world where it was a stadium, and in fact, in Amsterdam some time ago, I was asked to preach the 100th anniversary of Pentecost, the 100th anniversary of the first person they knew of in the Netherlands who had experienced the Holy Spirit baptism, a woman. And uh, so because I had written a book on the Holy Spirit that was translated into Dutch, and it had been sold all over the country, they thought I was important. So they had me come and preach this event. And uh, they rented, they by faith, rented the Olympic Stadium, and 25,000 people gathered there. And I will tell you, it is a real thrill to preach to 5,000. In fact, show that little Amsterdam clip and uh, you'll see just part of the crowd. You won't see the crowd on this side of the stadium. And you'll see me preaching with my Dutch interpreter in a moment here. But, you know, that's a pretty good-sized crowd. But remember what the principle that I shared with you? God counts less than we do. You see, we see a crowd. God sees individual hearts. That night, that night after preaching to all those thousands of people, and I will tell you, many people came to the altar, but I have to tell you, the difference is that crowd were virtually all Christians. And the invitation was for those who hadn't experienced Holy Spirit baptism. That was a crowd full of Christians. But that night I went back to the hotel, and the restaurant in the hotel was closed. Now, I'm diabetic, so I have something that I have to eat at night so that my sugar doesn't drop in the night, okay? So I'm wandering the streets of Amsterdam looking for some place that's open. It's late at night. It's after 10 o'clock at night. And I saw a neon sign. It said, pizza, pizza. I just felt led of the Lord to follow the sign. And I, and I think that's what we're going to have after service, aren't we, Pastor Wayne? Anyway, and so I went, and then when I got close... I saw the pizza sign was on a bar. It was the Tel Aviv bar. You've heard of Tel Aviv, Israel? I thought, well, maybe it's a Jewish or kosher bar, so maybe it's better than most. But I needed something, so I walked into the bar. There was only one guy sitting at the counter, and I said to the bartender, I said, could I just get one slice of pizza? He said, I've already turned the oven off. 
And I said, well, I'm diabetic. I need something to eat. I said, is there anything you've got? He said, well, I have a loaf of bread, part of a loaf of bread, and I have some gyro meat here. I could make you a sandwich. I said, that's good enough. So he makes a sandwich. While he's making the sandwich, I sat out down next to this guy at the bar. He has a gray handlebar mustache, a gray ponytail all the way down his back, great big mug of beer. I introduced myself. My name's Randy. What's your name? He said, my name's Peter. I said, you don't sound Dutch. No, I'm from Australia. I said, well, what are you doing here? And he explained to me that he had married a Dutch girl a long time ago, moved to Amsterdam, started a painting business, and we got talking a while, and I will tell you, and Pastor Dan, Pastor Wayne can tell you this, you know, when you're talking to a stranger and they find out you're a preacher, you'll find out they're willing to listen to you or they're wanting to get out of there, right? So I said to him, I said, do you live near here? He said, yeah, he lived close by. And I said, uh, do you go to church anywhere? He said, no, he hadn't been to church in 25 years in Australia. And he said, Someone hurt him in church. He became angry with God. He left the church. He said, I haven't been to church in 25 years. I said, you know, two blocks this direction where five streets come together, there's a brick church. He said, yeah, I've seen that. I said, I'd like to invite you to come to church tomorrow morning. And I said, now I need to tell you, it is going to be what's called a missions conference. Hello? So I said, at the end of the service, they're going to take an offering, a collection for missions. But I want you to know, I have the authority to absolve you from giving anything in the collection. He said, really? Why is that? I said, because I'm the preacher. He said, you're a preacher? I said, yeah, I'm a preacher. He said, what are you doing in a bar? I said, well, I'm diabetic. I, had to get, I was trying to get a piece of pizza. And then he turned away. And I thought, boy, this conversation's over. And then he turned back, and even in the dim light of the bar, I saw a tear coming down Peter's cheek. And he said, you know, I used to be a Christian. I used to follow Jesus. And he said, once you follow Jesus, you'll never be happy if you're not following him. And listen to this. He said, this morning, I woke up, and I had such a longing for Jesus. And I prayed, and I said, Jesus, I want to come back to you, but I don't know how. And 10 o'clock at night, a preacher walks into a bar. <laughs> Hello? Well, Peter came the next morning as he promised, and I watched him slip in that side down, and he sat far back on the left side. I had told him, Peter, wait until the service is over. I'll be praying with people, but I want to come and talk with you, and I did. And I had the privilege of taking Peter by the hand and leading him in a prayer to receive Jesus back into his life. Got his email address, gave him my email address. I sent him some material to help him in his Christian walk, and a few weeks later, I got an email from the pastor of that church, and he said, I want you to know, Peter Weber is still faithfully attending church. Because you can have thousands 
in an auditorium and God hears the prayer of one backslidden man who says, I want to come back to you. And he'll send a preacher from across the world into a bar to get a piece of pizza so that he can have a divine appointment with someone whose heart is crying out for God. Do you know people, may I tell you, there are people all over the city, all over this world whose hearts are crying out who are waiting for the message. God counts less than we do. And thirdly, in God's mathematics, God counts differently than we do. Do you remember the story of Jesus with the disciples at the temple and the people were going by the offering box, putting in their offerings, and some were putting in gold and silver, no doubt, But this woman had only two mites. We don't have a coin small enough to be a mite. It was two mites were equal to about one penny. So two mites, about a penny. She had a penny. Now notice what Jesus said. Jesus did not say she hath given a more qualitatively acceptable offering unto the Lord. Listen to what he said. She gave more. How can you say a penny is more than gold and silver? Jesus said more. Because God counts differently than we do. And I'll come back to that. So every good deed is recorded. God counts more than we do. God counts less than we do. God counts differently than we do. You just obey him. He keeps count. But not only is every good deed, every good work recorded, the second principle is this, and if this doesn't light your fire, your wood's wet, every good work is rewarded. Not only is it recorded, it is rewarded. And you know what God's word says? You know, Jesus said this, that even, even if you just give a cup of water in my name, he said, you're not going to lose your what? Reward. Reward for the kindest thing you do for someone. Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10, we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each of us may receive what is due for the things done. How can we receive what is due for the things done if they're not recorded? But because they're recorded, they're also going to be rewarded because each of us will receive what is due for us for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. Now, I will tell you, we all know that our reward is eternal. But may I tell you, rewarding of the good works we do is not just for heaven, folks. It's right here in this life. I can't tell you, the greatest rewards that I have and I, and I don't have the privilege like Pastor Blackburn and Pastor McBride who have been here since the founding of this church. And they have watched children from Victory Kids grow up, be called to the ministry, go to Southeastern, go out as missionaries, go out as pastors. And they get to see what God does through their ministry and the lives of people in this church. They get to marry them, perform the wedding, be at their graduations. But you see, I travel So I'm a different place every Sunday. But you know, every once in a while, God gives me a little reward by letting me know something he did through 
one of those works he had prepared for me. I was in Akron, Ohio, and after I preached, there was a handsome couple and a, and a, a teenage girl came up and, you know, people wait for you at the altar, whether it's for prayer or just to talk to you. And, and uh, the father said, our daughter here wants to meet you, and she was kind of shy. And she said, he said, you know, she said, he said, I was stationed in Anchorage, Alaska, a number of years ago, and he said, our daughter here was 11 years of age, and when you preached and you gave the salvation invitation, when she was 11, she went forward to receive Jesus as her Savior, and you prayed with her, and she's serving Jesus. Now she's 18, and she wanted to meet the guy that preached when she received. Let me tell you something, folks. You think my reward is just in heaven? I get it right here on earth. Now, I confess, hey, I, I post once a week on Facebook, and I say, I'm with my dear friends, Wayne Blackburn and Dan McBride at Victory Church, and praying for God to have his way, and I get all these likes and all these messages, and by the way, when we're at pizza, I got some messages for you, Wayne, from a bunch of people. Let me tell you something about Facebook, by the way, no one wants to see your lunch. <laughs> get a grip, folks, I mean, hello? But I would tell you, I believe the greatest blessing Facebook can be is for in uniting us in prayer for needs and uniting us in prayer for praise for answered prayers and for testimonies. It's a wonderful thing if we use it for the kingdom. And it was just a few months ago, I got a private message on Facebook and this woman said, you may not remember me. When she said her name, I immediately remembered her. Because you see, when I was, Ruth and I were youth pastors in Des Moines, Iowa with Charles Crabtree, there was a teenage girl at another Assemblies of God church who became pregnant out of wedlock. She decided she wanted to have the baby and have it adopted by a Christian family, and so they couldn't have someone in that church, of course, take her into their home. And so the pastor said, would you and Ruth be willing to take Vicki into your home and we said, yes, we would. May I tell you something, folks, by the way? There's a word, a word in the Bible called hospitality. It's not just talking about a meal. It's talking about extending your life. We have had many people that we have invited to live in our home, who came to the Lord in our home, who got the baptism of the Holy Spirit in our home because they were kicked out of their home and came to live with us. But Vicki lived with us for the months until she delivered her baby. But we lost track of her. We had no idea what had happened to Vicki. And she said, I found you on Facebook. And she said, I want to send you a picture. She said, by the way, she said, I wasn't serving Jesus when we went, I went to live in your home, but I received Jesus in your home. God called me to the ministry in your home. I went to North Central Bible College after I left your home and graduated from high school. And she said, here's a picture of me and my 30-year-old son that I was carrying in your home. And he, like I, am serving Jesus today because you opened your home to us. May I tell you, friends, every good work is rewarded. We get rewards in this life. And I'll tell you that because God knows each one, and he, remember I said, we count heads, God counts hearts. God sees things very differently than we do. 
I want to end and conclude with just one testimony that I share with you. I've had the privilege of preaching on a number of occasions in the world's largest church, Yoido Full Gospel Church in Yoido Island in Seoul, South Korea. They have seven Sunday services, 75,000 in each service. 25,000 in the main sanctuary and 50,000 in overflow sanctuaries where they have television screens and they watch by, by video. And the first time I preached, I'll never forget, Dan, when Pastor Cho said, I want you to preach the early service. How many of you know what time the early service is here? Nine o'clock. That is not early, friends. Excuse me. Their early service is six o'clock, Okay. And he said, I want you to preach the early service. He said, and the reason is because that's when all of our staff and our, our, our pastors and our workers are there in the first service before they're working in the other services, and I want them to hear you preach. And he said, now, the early service is the one service that doesn't have a full crowd. And I said, well, I understand. It's 6 o'clock in the morning. And I said, how many do you think will be there? He said, only about 30,000. I said, that's all right. I understand. I don't mind. So even in the early service, the sanctuary is filled. And I wish you could hear them at the prayer time when they intercede, especially when they're praying for their Korean relatives in North Korea who haven't access to the gospel and they're praying. May I tell you, friends, I believe it. God is going to open the door for the gospel to North Korea. Those people in South Korea who have been praying for their relatives, God is not going to allow those prayers to go unanswered. And when they're praying, have, have you been there, Wayne? And, and, and the, they, rock, they rock back and forth while they're praying like this. The whole congregation, 30,000 people rocking in prayer like this, and they have a bell they ring the bell when it's time for the prayer to stop because they couldn't hear the voice of the pastor. So he has to ring a bell, and that says, stop praying now. Okay, so they go, ding, 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 and then they stop praying just like that. But if you hear them praying, it sounds literally like a waterfall when those people in that sanctuary are praying. And while they were rocking back and forth, you know, in the early service, in addition to the pastoral staff, how many know old people get up early? All the old ladies, the old widow women are there at the 6 o'clock service, and they all sit in this section right here. And I was watching them rocking back and forth in prayer, and I thought, I wonder if it's her. I wonder if it's her. I wonder if it's her. Because, you see, I was wondering about a woman about whom Pastor Cho had told me. And when they were building that church... The walls were up, the roof was partway on, and inflation hit Korea. The Korean won plummeted in value. The people had sacrificed to give. I said to Pastor Cho, I said, surely, Pastor Cho, this church was not all built with American money. He said, no American money. All poor Korean people gave to build this church. He told me the stories of sacrifice, how Koreans that sold their homes and moved into apartments gave the equity from their homes to the building fund. Those who lived in apartments and didn't have any equity had their utilities cut off. In the wintertime, went to bed with no heat, no light, piling clothing on top of themselves to keep warm and gave their utility money for the church to be built. He told me of one 
Korean woman whose husband was a Buddhist, and he would check her purse every Sunday to ensure she had no money to give in the offering. And on Building Fun Sunday, she came down to the front with her friend beside her, and out of her purse, she took a scissors, and she handed the scissors to her friend, undid her beautiful long black hair, held her head back, and it fell down to her waist, and her friend cut off her black hair. The woman took a newspaper out of her purse, opened it up, and they rolled the hair up and folded it in the newspaper. And the woman handed the newspaper with her hair to Pastor Cho and said, you can sell this to the wig factory. They will pay good money for this, and it will help to build the church. That was the kind of sacrifice of those people. And the, and the walls went up. The roof was partway on. And inflation hit the country, and the money they had all sacrificed to give was used up so quickly because of the imported materials. They ran out of money. The machinery stopped. They were a couple of weeks away from foreclosure on the property by the bank. Pastor Cho called the congregation to come to the dirt floor of that unfinished church. And 12,000 of them came and gathered on the dirt floor of that original sanctuary that seated 10,000. And they crowded in there on the dirt floor. Pastor Cho put a table in the front and he told the story of the feeding of the 5,000. And he said, if you will do as that little boy did who gave his loaves and fish, like the loaves and fish, God will multiply your gift and the need will be met. But you know, they all had that same idea. They had all sacrificed. They all had that idea, the little I have left is not going to make any difference. And no one moved except one old woman who made her way to the front. And it was she I was thinking about when I watched those women rocking in prayer and I said, God, I wonder if it's her. I wonder if it's her. I wonder if it's her. She made her way to the front. She was a widow, had no children. She was holding in her hands a beat-up, dented brass rice bowl, a pair of chopsticks, and a spoon. She came to Pastor Cho, and she bowed and held the rice bowl out to him and said, I want to give these to Jesus for the church. Cho had visited her in her home. She lived in a little one-room shack that was made of cast-off plywood and sheet metal from building sites that she had scavenged, and people had helped her erect this little home in the poorest area of Seoul. He had visited her, and he said her house was so small, when I stepped in, I could not stand up. And he said, I thought of that little house where she lived. And I said to the woman, Mother, which is the respected way a Korean younger man addresses an older woman. He said, Mother, this is all you have, isn't it? She said, yes. Joe said, I cannot accept this. And I think you'll understand why Cho would feel that way. He said, I cannot accept this. And the woman fell to her knees. She bent over and began to weep. And then she looked up at Pastor Cho, and she said, Pastor, 
I can eat my food from a cardboard box with my fingers. But did you tell me that poor people cannot give to Jesus? Joe said the Holy Spirit spoke to him. I have chosen the foolish things to confound the wise and the weak to confound the mighty. Joe took the rice bowl. He put his hand on her head, closed his eyes, and he prayed. And he prayed a simple prayer. He said, God, I told this woman you would multiply what she gave. I pray you honor her faith and her obedience. When he finished his prayer, he opened his eyes. One more person had come. It was a businessman, a Korean businessman in a tailor-made suit. And he said to Pastor Cho, Pastor, I need a rice bowl. Will the church sell that rice bowl? Cho said, yes. The man took out a checkbook, wrote out a check to Yoido Full Gospel Church, handed the check to Pastor Cho, took the rice bowl. Cho told me personally, he looked down at the check. It was the equivalent in Korean won at that time of more than 30,000 U.S. dollars. The man turned and held up the rice bowl, lifted his voice and said, this is the most expensive rice bowl I have ever had. I want to give this rice bowl to the church. And he turned and he bowed and gave the rice bowl back to Pastor Cho. And he turned and said, does anyone else need a rice bowl? Someone else came and bought the rice bowl. No, not for 30000 And they gave it back. Someone else bought it, gave it back. Soon they stopped exchanging the rice bowl. Took off watches, jewelry, emptied their pockets, piled it on the table. And the next day, or rather two days later on Monday, the machinery started up and never stopped until the church was finished. Justin, would you show that little clip? I want you to see just the inner sanctuary of that church that was built because a woman gave her rice bowl. Because God counts, God counts differently than we do. He counts more than we do. He counts less than we do. He counts differently than we do. Every good work is recorded and every good work is rewarded. Would you bow your heads in prayer with me? Lord, you know each person. And as Pastor Blackburn comes, God, I just pray. I know that most made their faith promise this morning. But Lord, there's some here tonight that haven't yet done it. I pray that they do it, that you just speak to their heart, oh God. You know each one of us. Lord, I don't believe. I don't believe there's one person here that can't do something. There's not one person here that doesn't have more than that old woman. God, I pray no one would miss out on the opportunity, the privilege of entering into your eternal work in lives throughout this world. God, as we've seen in your word today, the 189 missionaries and the more to come that this church supports all over the world, 
You go before them. You prepare the soil of people's hearts. You go with them. You activate faith in, in people's hearts and minds when they hear the word they proclaim. And you follow after them. And Lord, I just pray that each of us would comprehend in some way that every good work that you have prepared for us when we obey you is recorded. And every good work is rewarded. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Amen. Would you give the Lord just a praise offering? Can we do that together? Boy, I'm, I'm astounded by the stories. Now, I don't know about you, but I, I sit over there and the devil plays with my mind. Uh, I, you know, the devil say, you know what, you think that's really true. Anybody, anybody else have the devil that talks to you that way? I'm the only one? Well, wow. But then I think about everything in the Bible that I really admire are all things that happened that man could not do, but God did. Amen? And you know, this message is about missions, isn't it? But it's also about you. You see, when you hear a message like this, you have to respond to it. You have to respond. Your heart has to respond. And here's what you do usually. It's okay, God, I respond by my commitment and I am pleased that that's what I need to do. Or the Holy Spirit is speaking to you and you say, you know what, I need to do a little bit more. I need to do a little bit more. And so sometimes it's not, you know, just uh, black and white like that. Human nature has the ability to compromise. Well, God, I know I need to do a little bit more. But so here's what I'll do in a little compromise here. The greatest miracles are the purest of motive and intention. This place needs some miracles. Some of our families need some miracles. We deal with constantly families that are broken. A woman in that aisle right back there in the center aisle between the two services this morning. She's been a casual attender here and a part of Victory Church. Her husband, I've been speaking with she and her husband. She's all to pieces. Her husband's left and gone. She doesn't understand faith. And I said, you just hang on. You just hang in there. But I don't know how. You just have, this lady's a businesswoman. You just hang in. Trust God. It'll come to pass. But I don't know how. She can't get her head wrapped around that. And I said to her, buddy, and I was haunted. I said, you listen to me right now. Look at me. God's going to give you a miracle. And he's going to bring it to pass but you're just going to have to take and stand solid on whatever faith you have. And she looked at me as if I'd slapped her. Well, you know, after that, and I walked away, the enemy said, devil talks to me a lot. Does he talk to any of you? He talks to me a lot. Who do you think you are sharing with her what's going to come to pass? 
And I said, I rebuke you. I wasn't born yesterday. I bind you in the name of Jesus Christ. I have every right according to the authority of the Word of God to declare the good news to that lady and say to her, listen, God's going to bring to pass a miracle. Amen? So here we are in this service tonight and how wonderful it is. So here's what we're going to, we're going to have the ushers come. Is that what we're doing? We're coming down. Okay. If you need a faith promise card, they're in the back of the pew. Uh, and uh, you can get one if you want to do differently. The ushers are going to come. That's how I want to do it, okay? You ushers, you come. And if you need to, uh, I had, had someone tell me today, after that service, I had to change my card. Listen, this is not about a number on a card. It's about absolute obedience. And some of you young couples, you're not in the groove yet. You have not learned to know what it's like to give up a rice bowl. You don't understand that. But I can tell you, some of you people that's been hanging around a long, long time, you remember the day, buddy, when you just laid it all out there and said, God, it's live or die. Hallelujah. It's either got to happen or it's not. So I'm going to encourage you as we sing this song. Whatever it is you need to, need to do, the, the card is in the pew back there in front of you. Complete it and say, you know, uh, we'll get that new number or whatever it is you want to do. Or you may just want to put on there, hey, I'm, I'm going to pray. I'm going to believe it. You might make a commitment to say, you know what? I'm not, I'm not busy about bringing anybody to church. Think about it. Think about it. I need to do that. Whatever God asks us to do, let's do it. Sharon and I give to the program and all the missionaries, 189 uh, 41 or so missions organizations that we support. It's all about Jesus. Amen. Ample. How many of you know we never run out of opportunities to give here at Victor Church? May I see your hand? Amen. I know you love that. So Father God, here we are. We're thanking you, believing you, praying that you would do something. There are miracles in this house right now. God, they happen when we do supernatural acts of obedience and step beyond the reason of our mind. Lord, when we fix in our mind, this is what we think we can do and it's comfortable, then you come along with a messenger that comes out of the Spring Fair, Missouri, traveling around the world, and that message that he preaches upsets our apple cart. Well, God upset our apple cart every single time. There are lost people that we need to win and need to come to faith. Let it be so. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you as you give tonight. Lord, I give myself away. Lord, I give myself away so you can use me. I give myself away.
together. Lord, I'm Thank you, Jesus. Amen. You appreciate uh, the ministry of Randy Hurst today. Would you give the Lord an offering? Amen. Thank you, Randy. God bless you. Wonderful family. Uh, he and his wife, Ruth, are great, great people. Got to tell you, it's true blue. How many, how many air miles do you have? Six million? That hurt you. Amen. I want to ask you to lift your hands. Heavenly Father, we surrender to you. We believe the end time is near. We know there's a passel of problems out there in our culture. We know there are a lot of difficulties and it seems like that the wicked evil of culture is winning. But Father God, hallelujah. All it would take one angel, not even that, to turn this world upside down in one fell swoop. We don't need a fire in Malibu. We don't need a hurricane to hit in the Gulf area. We know those things happen. People say climate change. I'm not wasting one minute trying to figure out why. Because if I waste a minute trying to figure out why, I'm gonna waste time believing when. And I believe when is just around the corner. When no fire, no hurricane, no miscounting is going to matter at all. What's really gonna matter is what I did for Jesus Christ. So God, would you give us a heavenly resurrection breath of your fresh air tonight? Would you let us leave this room tonight and let a song be in our heart and may it resonate with us all this week and may we come back again next Sunday with somebody holding their hand, lifting them up and winning them to Jesus. And Lord, we pray now for all of our missionaries, all of our missions organizations and every family that's made commitments to support the program. God, we lift it up to you. In Jesus' name we pray and everybody said, Amen. Be friendly before you leave and behave as you leave the parking lot. God bless you, everybody.
give myself, I give myself to you. I give myself to you. 